0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Last week, Cameron spoke about the fact that we value, here at Impact, we value character before charisma. In other words, we believe that God wants to work in and through us on our character as we work with our gifting, our charisma, the the gifts that he's given us. And that has to do with our view of our own gifting. But today, I want to jump right in and I want to talk about our theme today which is family before function. Because this has to do with the way that we actually view our ministry. So, character before Christmas has to do with the way we view our gifting, but today I want to talk about how we view our ministry. And uh, the thought, thought number one that I want to share with you this morning is I want to talk about why family is so important to God. I'm going to believe that family matters. Okay, that's good because we believe that we live in a day and age where family has been torn apart where I believe that there's an enemy that is trying to break down families, that is trying to come against families. But I believe that family is so important to God. Thought number one that I want to share with you this morning is that God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. I really believe that that was a God-ordained thing that he instituted. If you look at the very beginning of creation, family and, and marriage was the first institution ever ordained by God. I believe that family is the basic building block or Lego piece, if you will. If you think of how, how Lego pieces, they connect and they, they build on each other. I believe that family is the basic building block of society today. But the sad part is that if the, can, if the family collapses, society collapses. And how many of you can agree with me today that there's a lot of breakdown? Are we, are we here this morning? Okay, am I, am, am I on the wrong path? Because I believe this morning that, that there is something that has come against family in today's society. And as a church, I believe that we can stand up for what God instituted and believe in and have faith in the institution that God ordained. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the importance of family and how we need to value family over function. That the very building block that God has put in our lives is not how we can serve Him and what we can do for Him. It's who we are with Him. It's our relationship with Him. It's the way that we relate to Him because the way that we relate to Him will directly affect the way we relate to those close to us, to our families and not just our immediate families, our, our children or, or those that we live with or our, our, our siblings or our parents or whatever it may be, but it affects the way we relate to one another in church. And if you've been at Impact for any length of time you will hear us say that this is our family. Because we believe that church is more than an institution. Church is more than a place to come on a Sunday morning and spend a little bit of time to feel good. We believe that church is a family of people that God has put together. It actually even goes so far in the Bible to say that God has put each part in the body where he pleases and so we believe that God's desire is to place people, not just in an institution, not just in a place where you can come and attend, but we believe that God has placed you in a family where you can grow, where you can heal, where you can become healthy, where you can maybe rub off in a little bit on each other, and maybe, maybe God can use some of the people around you to sandpaper off some, some of those rough edges that we all have. Okay, so we didn't like that part. Okay, let me go back. Family is just perfect, right? How many of you grew up in an absolutely perfect family? Joe, Margaret, this is awesome. I'm going to come talk to you after and take new notes. Okay. Oh, this is, this is fantastic. Oh, did Grace raise her hand? That's, ah. that's so awesome. Grace is my daughter, in case you don't know. Okay. The other three didn't. <laughs> Grace, thank you. You three, you're grounded for a week. Okay. How do I get this one back? Where was I? Family, okay. So we are on display apparently this morning. So go ahead and uh, (laughs) just, here we are. This is family, family time, so here we go. Awesome. But I, I do believe that family is something that has been very attacked. But how many know that even though our families aren't always absolutely perfect, God can still work? And it's because we're family that we learn to stick together. It's because we're family that we learn to forgive. Do you know that the greatest place to learn forgiveness is in your family? The greatest place to learn to grow is in your family. The greatest lo- place to learn security is in your family. And maybe you come from a broken one. But God can restore you and set you in a church family that just might provide what you never had growing up because God is that good, God is that awesome. God can restore, God can heal, God can mend, God can bring closure. God is in the details. He knows exactly what you need. Maybe you were in a family and it broke down. And today you're feeling maybe a little bit hopeless and broken. We serve a God who can restore. He can restore you, he can mend you, he can heal you. And he can set you in a family of people that can be family to you. And that's very personal to me because uh, for those of you who, who may or may not know me, I don't have family here. Not my own, my side of the family. Thankfully, Cameron's family is here and his mom is right here in our church. But church is family to me. And that's very personal because you, you guys are, are my family. And I believe that's the way God wants it. Now, he wants you to treasure and value your, your family But we get to be part of a greater family as well. And so I believe today that God wants to heal and mend some things. I want to just read from Genesis 2, verse 18. In the very beginning, the the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. (laughs) That's so still true. (laughs) It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then God took... um, and formed Eve from the rib of Adam because he looked at mankind and he had said up until that point, he said that everything was good. He created light and he said it was good and then he created all the animals and he said it's good. He created all the the trees and all the stuff that we see and he said it's good and then he created man and he said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not good. It's not good for him to be alone. He needs a helper. He needs a soulmate. He needs someone to be with him. And so he finalized this new union of marriage that he created between Adam and Eve. And he said this in verse 24. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's the foundation uh, that God created in the very beginning. And then Jesus in the New Testament confirms this thought. When the religious leaders are confronting him, he actually goes right back to Genesis and he quotes and he says, But at the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let no man separate God in the very beginning created something beautiful a union uh, that actually reflects the unity between the father son and the Holy Spirit in this institution called marriage But I want to talk about today, why is family so important? Here's thought number two, because God places a high value on the family. And I think if God places high value on something, I I think it's a pretty good idea for us to do so too, right? Um, That's awesome. Two of you agreed. That's really great. Um, But you know, usually when God values something, he does it because he wants to show us that it's important. Remember that family was God's idea. God created family, he designed it, and he describes the church as a family, so that we can be part of a greater family than just our immediate family. And family can be made up of all sorts of constellations. There can be all sorts of, of different versions of family, but then God takes us and he places us in this, in this great, greater family, and then every Sunday we get to come and have a massive family reunion, and it's awesome. But it's all how we view it. If you view church as an institution that you come to and that you attend and that you come and and you have a good little worship time and maybe you pray at the end and then you go home, you will be blessed because God's in the house. And so you will be blessed. He will meet you right where you're at. But if you dare to take a step and say, okay, I don't want this to just be the church that I attend. I want this to be the family that I belong to. I promise you that it will not be without challenge, but God will take you so much deeper in relationships. He will take you so much deeper in your journey. If you dare take the step to say, okay, I want to be part of something greater. And so I invite you this morning to go deeper to be part of something more because God has a great plan for this family. And it's exciting, thank you Ryan for your response, it's exciting to be part of a place full of people that are full of faith. And you know what's so awesome about a church family is that I don't just have to rely on my own faith, I can join together with Ray's faith, and I can join together with Shanna's faith, and then we can join together with Ryan's faith, and we can go in Nathan's faith and Janice's faith, and together we can stay, together and we can pray and believe for something greater than what I have the capacity to do on my own. That's great news. That's the power of what God created. Thought number three is this. As the family goes, so goes the church. See, the church is God's instrument to fulfill his eternal purpose on earth. That's an awesome thought in and of itself. But if families are not healthy and strong, church won't be healthy and strong. And so I believe that there's a time and place to take care of our families, to take care of the individuals within that family. So it's clear from the Bible that family is God's idea because strong families mean strong churches. But in the day when most people in churches focus on their ministry, I believe that God is calling us to put our focus and our strength into strengthening the family. Because if we strengthen the family, we strengthen the church. When we strengthen the church, we strengthen the ministry. But how many of you can say you don't have to raise your hand, but just nod at me if you can think of some examples where where ministry has come far before family, maybe broken down some families, and we've seen times where unfortunately this priority has been switched around. So I want to look today quickly at one of the greatest sermons ever preached, it was Jesus. When he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to just divide this into three different sections this morning. Um, that I see in this particular passage from Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus addresses a whole bunch of things in this, in this sermon. But he lands on these, these three thoughts that I can draw out this morning. First of all, he talks about a tree and its fruit. So Matthew 7 verse 15 down to 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but really are vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is the way they act. How many of you have seen a really charismatic, gifted person, and they they act one way, but their fruit isn't lining up with the way they're talking? See, Jesus addresses that, and he goes, you know, a tree is known by its fruit. And so Jesus is actually more interested in your root system than he is in your fruit because if your root system gets healthy, then your fruit will be good. And so it keeps on and it says this. You can, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can produce bad fruit and a bad tree can not produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people... By their actions. Fruit is more important than gifting. Who you are as a person, what you invest into as a person in your relationship with God, is more important. Then what you can do from him. Then he goes on in verse 21. And he talks about what a true disciple actually is. And he defines it for us in these verses where he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And we perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. This is a very, very interesting passage. I don't know if it, if it pricks you as much as it does me. But it talks about people who are prophesying. People who are gifted in, in the miraculous, in healing, and, and in deliverance. I mean, wow, that's an awesome Christian, by definition as we know it. Isn't it? No? Okay, well, I thought so. I thought that's a powerhouse Christian. Hey, if you have the gift or the miraculous, you walk with deliverance, and you can can speak the name of Jesus, and you can do all these things. That's awesome. Yet Jesus actually rejects them, and he says, you built your ministry on your gift, but you forgot the most important thing. You forgot relationship with me. I never knew you. You did a lot of good stuff, but I want to know you. True discipleship, I, ouchies, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I'm stepping on toes this morning. But, but we need to be real about this. Because God is after your heart. He's not after what you can do. What you can do comes out of who you are. And who you are comes out of how well you know him. And how secure you are in him. And how secure you are in him is directly tied on if you actually know him or not. This morning, Jesus wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. You know, sometimes I come into church and I go, Jesus, I can't wait to see what you have in store this morning. I know you want to meet with us, Jesus, and you're just so awesome, and I love you so much, and oh, you know, Brianna's just going to do a great job in worship today, and we're just going to, you know, heavens are going to open, and we're just going to have an awesome time, Jesus. And then God speaks to me sometimes and says, I can't wait for you. I can't wait to see what you have in store for me this morning. Are you going to give me your whole heart? Or just a little bit? See, God is not just this far-off power in the heavens. He's intimate. He's your Father. He longs for a relationship with you. So just as much as you look forward to meeting with Him, He actually is looking forward to meeting with you. He's just as excited to see what you can bring to Him as you are what He can bring to you. Because it's relationship. For those of you who are married, would you not say that you're grateful that it's a two way thing? That's how God feels. He actually calls us his bride. He wants relationship. He's passionate about us, but he wants us to be passionate about him. The third part in this passage is this that he wants us to build on a solid foundation. Matthew 7, verse 24 and on goes on to say, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rains come in the torrents and the floodways rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains and the floods came and the wind beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus has finished these sayings, the crowd was amazed at his teaching because he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. See, what Jesus is saying is that there's extreme consequences for building on the wrong foundation. Your house may actually come crashing down. That's why he says, you need to know me. I want relationship with you. I want you to build your solid foundation based on a relationship that is healthy and strong because everything else comes out of that relationship. And he doesn't want us to crash. But he knows that the winds will come. He knows that the storm will come. He knows that the rain will come and challenge you. And in that moment, he wants you to have planned ahead and built your foundation strong and solid. See, if the house isn't built on the right foundation, support me, Gary. I know you're here. You need a good foundation right to build a good house. But it's the same same thing with families. I believe that a strong family needs to be built on a strong foundation. So since we build a house or even a family from the ground up, it's essential that we understand the teachings that Christ gave regarding the construction process on how to build a home properly. Now, I'm not handy, so I can't build a house, but I can see the blueprint in the Bible for how God wants us to build this incredible thing called family. So I just want to share a couple of thoughts with you this morning because what I see in society today is a society that is full of broken families. It's full of broken down houses, if you will, because society has told us year after year after year after year that we should focus on our career. We should focus on our ministry. We should focus on all these things. And what's happened that out there in the world, we look at people and we go, well, you should have prioritized your family, but it's crept into the church. Just as much. And and this morning, I feel an urgency to tell the church, wake up. Wake up. And just know that where our society is heading is not good. But we have a God who can restore. We have a God who can heal. And we we have a God that even though you may have... Uh, grown up on a shaky foundation this morning he can provide you with a solid foundation to build on so that your house can be strong so that your family can be strong so that your life can be strong so when those storms come and they will you will stand and withstand the storms of life see God will never ask you to sacrifice your family to have a successful ministry ever It's not in his heart. He just won't. I often say it this way. God will never ask you to lay your family at the altar of ministry. Because God believes that it's in the strength of your home, of your relationship with him and with your family, that your ministry is going to be the healthiest. But I'll also say this. Don't sacrifice God on behalf of your family. That's the bookend to that statement. Because I see families in our society today that have prioritized everything but God in their family. And then one day they wake up and they go, well, I want my kids to serve Jesus. But part of that is doing it together as a family, growing together as a family, prioritizing God together as a family, and laying the foundation together as a family. Maybe you recognize today that maybe your foundation hasn't been that strong. Well, today is a great day to start. Laying that foundation and teaching your children. Maybe they're up and gone and married and, and, and grown up and out on their own, but today is a good day to start. Today is a good day to turn your life around, to set your priorities straight, because God can restore what the enemy has stolen. See, in this illustration about the house and the storms, Jesus drew on the understanding of the Jewish mindset um, and how they used to build a home properly so for the Jews that were living in Palestine they were very aware of the dangers of the weather because it would go through seasons of drought and then they would have these terrible rainstorms and then everything in between and so they knew that when they built a house they couldn't just build it for a season of drought they had to build it for a season of drought of rain of cold of heat and of everything in between and so Jesus was drawing on the most fundamental aspect on how to build a house and the basic thing comes down to how deep are you willing to dig because Jesus says everything else the way the house looks is negotiable but you need a good foundation that's where you need to prioritize that's where you need to start and so what it comes down to is how deep are you willing to dig to build a family that stands every test because can I be honest it takes time it takes effort It takes intentionality. It takes admitting when you're wrong. It takes asking for forgiveness a few times. It takes readjusting here and there. Are you with me? But if you put the time with God's help into building a good foundation, I am going to tell you that there is nothing that can shake you as an individual and as a family, if you stand on the right foundation. So building on sand is easy and it's fast because you don't have to dig down. (laughs) It doesn't take any time. But the digging process to build a proper foundation takes commitment. And commitment is necessary because everyone needs To have a good foundation. So I want to just separate this. I see three different tests in this passage that Jesus talks about. I just want to give you quickly those three different tests. The first one is what I call the rain test. That test comes and it will test our roof. And I'm going to say our covering. And so when Jesus looks at this, he actually speaks about the proper order of setting up a home. And I hope I'm not going to step on toes today, but I want to just show you biblically what God lays out in Scripture for how to build a solid foundation in your home and I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5 all the way through to Ephesians chapter 6 and just kind of stop as I go but as I read this passage I want you to catch the order in which God lays this out in order for you to have a healthy home a healthy house a healthy family healthy relationships and eventually then a healthy church because again the family is built on the church Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and on says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may ask me, why in the world are you reading that passage? Well, because that's the passage that leads right into family. So God is actually saying, when he's showing us how to build a family, he says, first of all, prioritize God. He actually says, he addresses the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son in these couple of verses, and he says, let your heart be so full that you sing and you make music to the Lord and be thankful for, for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. You want to build a good foundation, start there. You want to lay something solid. Start with thankfulness in your heart and prioritizing God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in your life. That's going to be the first building block of your foundation. And then right after this, he goes on in verse 21, the very next verse. And he says, And furthermore, Or in further, so he says, first of all, your first building block is have God at the center of your life. Have God at the center of your family. Be filled with the Holy Spirit so much so that it overflows out of your heart. Don't be afraid to pray out loud at home. Don't be afraid to show your kids that you're thankful. Don't be afraid to show your roommates that God is the reason you exist. Don't be afraid to show someone that God is the reason that you're here today and that you're actually grateful and happy for what he's done in your life. You know, one of the things I love seeing in my kids, and we're not perfect, but I love hearing them talk about how good God is. I love it. Sometimes I listen in and they don't even know. Well, now they do. But I hear them talk, and they'll say things like, we're so thankful that God gave us a good home to live in. And something inside of me goes, yes, Lord. They know that it's not us. They know that it's not about our efforts. They know that it's your goodness that has provided something as foundational as just a home to live in. We sit down at our dinner table, and oh my goodness, if you've had dinner with us ever, (laughs) <laughs> I hear a few laughs, okay, so for the yeah, it's loud, and it's fun, and we laugh, and we do zany things that we say to our children should be kept inside our family unit only, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> yeah, I see someone sinking down here, um, that was a strong hint, by the way. <laughs> But you know what? We talk about God. We talk about his goodness. We talk about, you know, our youngest girls, they love singing this song every time we eat because they want to acknowledge that God gave us the food we eat. And it can be as simple as that or it can be as complicated as you walking through a dark season and actually letting your family know that you're still here because of God. But lay your foundation on God. Then it goes on to say in verse 21, and furthermore, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ouch. For your husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Uh, Pastor Ray gave us the most beautiful definition of submission I've ever heard. And she said, you know, sub actually means under. Or secondary. Sorry, not under. It means secondary. It even says secondary in my notes. Thank you very much. And mission means a common mission or goal so in a in a society where submission is a word that we do not like to use think about it this way submission simply means then sub which means secondary means can be defined as a secondary act to help the one in authority or leadership toward a common goal goal or mission Isn't that a beautiful definition of submission? And it says here, wives, submit your husbands. In other words, just support the common goal and mission that you have. And the passage starts off by saying, submit one unto another. Because God knows that if we submit one unto another and we work together in a common goal and mission, God can do great things in your family. It's an awesome definition. Ephesians goes on to say right after that, husbands, this means love your wives. Because some, some husbands love to quote those other two verses and woman, submit. And then I'd like to go, hey, read on, brother. Because <laughs> a couple of verses later, it addresses you two. And it says, Love your wives. Can I get an amen from the wives in the room? Okay, just as Christ loved the church. And he gave his life up for her to make her holy and cleaned. God is laying out the pattern of how you should feel about your wife. He is passionate about making her holy, clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. We are the members of his body, as the scriptures say. A man leaves his great mystery. um, Oh, sorry. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect the husband. Can I say it's the most beautiful thing in a household. If you can learn to love and respect one another and submit one unto another, that's the building block that God has given because out of that place comes something healthy. And he lays this building block before he even addresses children because he says, if that's good, then the next will be good. And again, I want to put out a disclaimer. Maybe you have a broken family and this is not you. You build your relationship with Christ and you be his and his alone. And allow him to build in you and submit unto Christ and work with him in the common goal and vision for your life. And he will build the rest for you. Ephesians goes on then to say, actually, I'm going to say this. I want to tell you, men, what this passage is saying is that you're the thermostat of your home. You are the thermostat of your home. So you set the atmosphere in your home. But women, you're the thermometer. How many of you know that women can feel things and sense things quite often that men may not pick up on? And then she gently and lovingly comes to her husband, right? And says, honey, it's feeling a little chilly in here. So we may need to adjust the thermometer. (laughs) But if you work together, it becomes a beautiful union that God has created. And then he goes on to say, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For it's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So we see the building blocks are building one by one by one by one. So if you love, your, if you love the Lord, you love each other, you love your children, they will happily submit to you. If you build your foundation right, maybe with some challenges, but they'll know that you're in this for the long haul because you love them and you love Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse five Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So here he says, if you lay your foundation right, you have your relationship with God right, you have your relationships within your home right, then you can do whatever you do as unto the Lord. In your workplace, in your ministry, whatever you do, you're not working for men. You're not working to please people. You're working no matter what you do for a living, no matter what task you have at hand for the day. You are working unto the Lord. If your foundation is right. And that can give meaning to even the most menial tasks. If we have our perspective right. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do. Whether we're slaves or free. Masters treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven. And he has no favorites. In other words where you work. Whether you're an employer, employee. No matter what your position is. Do it unto the Lord. Filled with the love of Jesus for those Around you, Can I say this? I believe that proper order in a home not only gives protection, it actually allows for a flow of divine power to come into your home. Thank you. God wants so much more for you than to just survive the day. He has so much more in store. That's the first test. It's the rain test. The second test is the flood test um, because Jesus says first the rains come, then the floods come. I believe that that test comes to determine the strength of our foundation. It will, co- it will test commitment to our families. What are our priorities? Are we focused more on our career or on our ministry or whatnot? Or are we focused on the foundational building blocks that God asks us to have and put in place which just the relationship with him first and relationship with our families, our children, our spouses, whatever it may be, our friends, after. What gets the best of our time and attention? 1 Timothy five 5.8 says this, For those who, aren't, uh, who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. God actually goes so far to say, don't be all about your ministry, don't be all about your career, don't forget about your home. Build inside your home and take care of that because foundations need to be well established and secured on solid ground because foundations can't be built on shifting sand. The third test is this, the wind test. I believe that the wind test comes to test the structure of our home, of our family. See, our families are constructed out of relationships with one another and I think the wind test is how we relate to one another. Whether that's you to your child or, or you to your friends, God comes and he says to you, if you build your foundation right, you can learn, even when the wind comes, even when tests come, to relate to one another in a healthy, whole way. Proverbs eleven twenty nine says, Those who bring trouble on their families inherit the wind, but the fool will be a servant to the wise. So he's talking about how to actually be wise is to... to prioritize the relationships that you have first. Everything else comes second. In the book, uh, Fantastic Families, um, Dr. Nick Stinnett uh, talks about six foundation stones that are vital for, I believe, any family to experience relational success for the long haul over a long period of time. So his results are based on the result, uh, sorry, of an evaluation of 14,000 different families over the span of 25 years. And these are the six foundation stones that he came to. Number one, commit to your family. Two, express appreciation and affection in your family. Number three, share positive communication within your family. Number four, learn to spend time together as a family. Number five, nurture spiritual growth in your family. And number six, learn to handle stress and conflict because it will come. If you have your relationship with the Lord, right, and your relationship is strong with one another, then these are six, Uh, these are not it, this is not all there is to it, Uh, but I think it's a good way to start building a healthy way to relate to one another as a family. Um, A quote from his book says, Commitment is the bedrock on which every family must build. In the atmosphere of trust and security that mutual commitment creates, every family member can survive any bad or personal failure." Commitment creates a warm, loving environment in which families grow. It offers a harbor that shelters family members from the destructive forces of fear, anxiety, rejection, and loneliness. See, what God is saying today is he's asking for your commitment. First to him, but also to those that he has placed in your life and in your care. So there's seven different areas I think we should consider making that commitment to. The first is your commitment to Christ. Second is your commitment to marriage, if you're married. The third one is commitment to each individual within your family. And maybe you're a single parent, then it's your commitment to your child. Maybe you're single, then it's your commitment to the Lord, right? And to those around you. Number four is the commitment to putting first things first. Number five is the commitment to honesty. I'm going to tell you right now that you cannot build a strong family if you do not have a commitment to honesty within that family. Number six, it's going to sound super not spiritual, but commitment to family traditions. Do you know that sometimes the greatest thing you can build into your family is something that just you do? It's a tradition that you have. And it's something that, that children go up to learn, to treasure, and to hold to, and to remember. And it's something. And they, go, they grow up and they go, well, in my family we always did this wacky thing. But do you know that it's something as simple as commitment to do something over and over can instill in your, in your family, in your children, in your spouse, in your relationships, that, hey, we're in this together. And we share something that maybe other people won't understand. But it's ours. And it helps strengthen that. And the last one is commitment for the long haul. I want to finish by reading the story. And worship team, if you could actually come back up, that'd be great. Can you do the uh, I Speak Jesus song, actually, again, as we take communion? Um, I want to read this. It says, I came face to face with one of Satan's uh, Satan's slyest agents, the agent of familiarity. Sorry, I can't speak. His commission from the dark abyss is clear and fatal. Take nothing from your victim cause him only to take everything for granted. He has been on my trail for many years, and I never knew it, but I know it now. I have come to recognize his tactics and detect his presence, and I'm doing my best to keep him out. His aim is deadly. His goal is nothing less than to take what is most priceless to us and make it appear as most common. He is an expert at robbing the sparkle and replacing it with the drab. He won't steal your salvation. He'll just make you forget what it's like to be lost. Nor will he steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a coat of drabness. He will replace romance with routine. He won't take your children. He'll just make you too busy to notice them. Before you know, the little face that brought tears to your eyes in the delivery room has become perish the thought, common